0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, today I want to talk about an issue that uh, should interest a lot of us in ministry leadership, and that is I want to talk about making ministry marriage work. And I particularly want to talk about some of the distinctives of the challenges of ministry marriage and how we can meet those proactively and successfully. In order to do that, I want to have as my guest today on the podcast, uh, my marriage partner for 42 years, my wife, Anne, who's joining us on the podcast today. So welcome, Anne, to the Lead On Podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm really delighted to be here.
0: That's awesome. Well, Anne and I have taught this material in some conferences and seminars in different locations. And of course, we've tried to live it out. So Today is going to be a conversation between the two of us about some of the issues related to ministry marriage. But before we get into the uh, specifics about ministry marriage, I think it's important to consider two overarching issues. The first one is this, all the things that you teach and preach for other couples to do you should do them as well. You see, ministry marriages are really not that unique. Now there are some unique components and we're definitely going to talk about them on the rest of this podcast and probably next week too. Ministry marriages are unique, but they aren't as unique as we might think of them. They are a lot like all the other marriages in our churches. So, Uh, You preach and teach on marriage. You give people marriage books, and you host marriage retreats and marriage conferences. You have people listen to podcasts and other input about marriage, and you encourage people to do certain things for all couples to do to strengthen their relationship. So here's where we start today. Do those same things yourself. Let me give you some examples, and in most uh, marriage teaching, there's... uh, something about the importance of date night or of spending regular time together. Just because you're a ministry couple doesn't mean you're exempt from doing that. You have to spend time together. You have to have date night or you have to have other time when you spend together apart from children and apart from the demands of ministry and apart from calendaring your next set of activities, just time together. Ann and I do that. Um, now, we don't have a certain night of the week because our schedules would never allow that, but we do very proactively uh, plan for us to have time together, and a lot of that is on Fridays, as we've talked about in other contexts on the podcast, our normal day of rest, but we like to just do things together to rekindle our relationship, uh, like what are some of those things and that we've done together? For example, we like to go out to eat together, we like to go to movies together, uh, we like to go to museums together. What are some other things that we like to do together that maybe uh, you co- that come to mind today?
1: Well, even, of course, our children are grown and gone now. but uh, So even some fun things like uh, working a jigsaw puzzle together and uh, or watching a movie together at home uh, works as well. And so just anything to uh, either get out of the house and do something fun or um, to, to be home and do something fun.
0: Yeah, we like to hike. We have done a number of hikes in this area, and of course, we've, uh, we just like anything that gets us outdoors and moving in uh, those kind of contexts. My point is simply this. The first step toward having a healthy ministry marriage is remembering your marriage is like everybody else's marriage. And the things you teach and preach and counsel and direct other couples in your church to do, you do them as well. You have to have meaningful conversation. You have to have time to meet each other's needs. You have to disengage from work and plug into each other. These things matter in a ministry ministry marriage just like they matter in other marriages. Now, that's the first overarching thing I want to say. The second is this. You need to recognize that many professions have special challenges to marriage. Now, I've, I've heard this for years. Well, you know, Ministry marriage is just unique. It's got its own special challenges. And, and ministry marriage is, is such that, well, you know, we, we just have some challenges nobody else understands or no one else uh, uh, experiences. I going to be very direct. That's just simply not true. Ministry marriage does have some unique challenges, but it's not unlike other marriages in this regard. Many other kinds of careers and professions produce unique or distinct challenges in marriage. And so, for example, when you stand up and complain to your church or your ministry organization about how demanding the ministry is on your marriage, people are sitting there thinking, is he completely clueless? Does she have any concept of what she's saying? Ministry, marriage, while it has some unique challenges, is no different than, for example, uh, the physician's in your community, and the marriage challenges they face. For example, I have a friend who was a physician for many years, and every fourth weekend of every month, and every fourth week of every month, he was on call. And his children and family and wife understood that when he was on call, his profession came first. He didn't have date night with his wife. He didn't have uninterrupted conversation. If the phone rang, he had to go. He didn't go to his kids' ball games if he was required to be at the hospital. During the time that he was on call, he had very significant work demands that eliminated family life during those time frames. That's just one example. Another one is military wives. If your spouse or or military wives or husbands, I should say, if your spouse is in the military, uh, that job is going to place some demands on your spouse that are never going to be met Uh, in the context of having your marriage always be the priority. It just doesn't happen. Here's one of my favorites. Coaches uh, have the same problem. Uh, We have a couple good friends that are uh, lifelong involvement in coaching. The man was a football coach for more than 30 years. And uh, he had a funny story in his family that sort of illustrates his priority. And why don't you tell what happened in their family?
1: Yeah, uh, Yes, it's a wonderful family, and um, their daughter, uh, she was just getting to the age where she could kind of choose what she wanted to do or not, and, and um, it was time to go to the football game on Friday night. And uh, she said to her mom, Mom, I just don't want to go to the football game. And her mom said, Honey, uh, we're a football family, so we're going to go to the football game. <laughs> and uh, her her daughter thought about it for a minute, she said, Okay, all right, let's go. Yeah.
0: In fact, I think her exact words were, Get your shoes on. We're going to the football game. (laughs) It's just an example of what we're talking about. There's a season every year uh, during the time of football season when this wife understands that football is the priority and it's going to impact her marriage. And her daughter needs to understand it's also going to impact our family. That's just another example. I, I think about nurses. We have a friend who's a nurse and she works three 12 hour shifts and then has a rotation of days off and then three more 12 hour shifts and a rotation of days off. And It's not an even rotation, so she works an uneven schedule as it unfolds over a month. And her husband knows that when she's working those three 12-hour shifts, it's work, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep. That's those three days. Nothing else really happens during that time frame. And then another one, this one I was introduced to many years ago, and that's truck drivers. Uh, We have a friend who's a Teamster truck driver, and he's been driving long enough that he's been able to bid up to the route that he really wants. And so he leaves every Monday morning, drives a route, spends the night on the road on Monday night, drives home on Tuesday, is back in his own house on Wednesday, leaves again on Thursday morning, drives, stays over Thursday night, comes back on Friday, and then has the weekend. Now, it took him years to work up to that schedule, but that's his schedule. His family knows that on Monday nights and Thursday nights, he's gone. He's out of the picture, and his wife understands that that's one of the demands of his job, and it definitely has impact on their marriage. So listen, ministry marriage has some unique challenges, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about those, so we're going to get to that. But before we get there, let's underscore this. Ministry marriage is no different than every other marriage represented in your church or ministry organization. If you have people in your church that are doctors or nurses or in the military or coaching, People that are driving trucks are doing a host of other occupations. Those occupational demands impact marriage expectations. And the same thing, the same thing is true in ministry. But we're not unique. And I want us to get over this. Stop complaining about it. Stop acting like we're somehow victimized by the ministry in, in our marriages. That's just simply not true. So we start today making ministry marriage work with these two broad observations. First of all, all the things you teach and preach for other couples to do, you need to be doing them as well because your marriage is not any different than the other marriages in your church. And then just because you have some unique challenges doesn't make mean that you're different than the other marriages in your church, many of whom also have unique challenges to their relationship brought about by the professional responsibilities or the career obligations or the occupational challenges that they face as a couple. So, yes, we're going to now get to some things that are unique about ministry marriage and how we've learned over the years to make things work better. But keep those two broad, general thoughts in mind as we get started. Well, now let's shift our attention. Let's shift our attention to four or five different ideas, big ideas, that are unique about ministry marriage, that require special focus, that mean we have to work on these things uniquely in order to have healthy marriages in the context of ministry. The first one is this. Be yourself. Be yourself. And be the couple God made you to be. You know, ministry couples face pressures to conform uh, to the expectations of others. For example, when we came to the seminary, one of the things we talked a lot about with the seminary in preparation for coming was what were the expectations the seminary had of Anne as the president's wife coming into this organization. Now, the seminary is a very healthy organization with a lot of mature believers, and so they weren't putting a lot of uh, unrealistic expectations on Anne, but we all recognized coming into this that the seminary had had a series of president's wives over the past 40 or 50 years and as a result of that a set of expectations had grown up and we needed to try to understand what those were as we came into this context and again i want to underscore the seminary was very wise and responsible about dealing with these expectations but that still meant that did not mean that they weren't there and that they had to be adju- addressed another Part of this is that a lot of followers have an ideal ministry couple image in their mind, and they want you to live up to that ideal. They think, well, I know what a pastor's wife is supposed to be or a president's wife is supposed to be. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves compromising who we really are as couples, trying to either conform to the expectations of people in our setting – are conform to the ideal expectations people may have for persons they see in our roles. Now, Anne had a interesting experience with this, sort of from the other side of the equation, uh, when we were at our church in Oregon. So, Anne, you had an encounter with a young woman who was coming into our church in ministry leadership. Why don't you talk about that and how uh, it illustrates the point today?
1: And I, I will say, uh, over the years, I've really grown in this area because uh, when Jeff and I were dating, um, I really was very hesitant about being a pastor's wife. I thought, uh, I told him I couldn't play the piano <laughs> because that was my idea of a pastor's wife. And I was too shy and all these reasons that I couldn't be a pastor's wife. And um, the Lord helped me grow through all of that. And as I as I came to be a pastor's wife, I realized none of that mattered. The only thing that mattered was the people wanted to know that I cared about them, and if I cared about them, all the rest of it didn't matter. And eventually, you know, they adjusted to my own personality. But I had a funny story with um, uh, the pastor's wife that came after us in the church plant that Jeff was at, and um, the pastor and pastor's wife. And she was a very accomplished pianist, and she was phenomenal on the piano. And so we were talking one day, and, and we we're very good friends, and I was joking around with her. And I said, yeah, when I first started out in, in ministry, I didn't think I could be a pastor's wife because I couldn't play the piano like you. And she just started laughing hysterically. And I'm like, Beverly, what is so funny? And she said, oh, this is hilarious because I thought I couldn't be a pastor's wife because I'm not sweet like you. (laughs) And so both of us just had this expectations in our minds that a pastor's wife had to be a certain way. And um, it's been my experience. I've known a lot of pastor's wife with a lot of different personalities and gifts and talents. And if you just give people time they will adjust to who you are and they may say some things and you just have to kind of let it go um, and eventually they'll come around to see okay this person cares about me and you know they' they're a different personality than I was expecting but it works so
0: that's good well I think you have come a long way in simply having the confidence to be yourself in ministry context and that's been even important here at Gateway because, There is no prescribed role for the president's wife here, and you've carved one out in terms of teaching and mentoring and caring for people here in the seminary community, but you've also maintained your ministry focus of preschool and children's ministry through our church. And so I give you high compliment for really learning how to handle these pressures to conform, Not being too preoccupied with what people have expected in the past and certainly not being overwhelmed with what people may expect in the future, but just learning to be yourself. So be yourself and be the couple God made you to be. Now, in this context, I've observed that healthy ministry couples really follow or fall into one of three models of what ministry marriage is like. The first one is what I call a shared model. And that's where a couple comes together and really does a lot of the same things in ministry. And like international missionaries often have this kind of marriage where they have a shared model of working together. They often do the same things, uh, maybe some with men, some with women, that's different, but they're still out there sharing the gospel, making disciples, trying to train leaders, build the churches, et cetera. A second model for a ministry couple is what I call a compatible model. And that's the model that I think you and I have, Ann. And that is, we are very compatible in our ministry commitments, but we don't do the same things. I speak and teach and write and do things like this podcast, and you came in to do the podcast one time, and if I know you, that'll be enough for you. Uh, You really don't want that kind of public life or that kind of public speaking platform, and that's fine. You don't have to have that. We're compatible in that our ministry commitments fit together, and we support one another in the different things that we do. And then the third model is what I refer to as a supportive model, and that's where one person in the relationship really feels strongly committed to and has the priority of being a ministry leader, and the other person may not even share that sense of calling or that sense of of purpose in the same way but they're very supportive of their spouse. And they really want that person to be totally successful in ministry. And they really give themselves to that. You and I have two or three different friends who are in this kind of relationship. I know a pastor whose wife has said openly, I don't really think of myself as a pastor's wife. I'm I'm just my husband's wife and I'm committed to him totally. And I love our church and I want him to be completely successful. And she has a professional career as well, and that works really well for them. And you and I have a couple of uh, friends in ministry that where the woman is the ministry leader, and she's involved in some capacity of ministry or some capacity of leadership, and her husband is just right there supporting her, working in usually a secular position, uh, not even really all that involved in a public way of ministry, but still making sure that his wife has all the support she needs to get the job done. So would you agree with me that all three of these models work, and and do you think that our compatible model is the one that really has worked best for us?
1: Yes, and, and every couple just has to figure that out. And the couple you mentioned, uh, the woman, she was a children's ministry leader, and uh, her husband was so supportive of her, and it allowed her to be able to work in the West on very little salary um, and be able to do her ministry because her husband supported her. Yeah,
0: exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, so we've talked today uh, uh, about this first distinctive of making ministry marriage work, and that is be yourself and be the couple God made you to be. Resist the stereotypes of the past, Redis, resist the ideal ministry couple image that people put on you about the future, as Anne has illustrated in her story that she told about her experience in discussing this with her friend, be who you are. And recognize that one pastor's wife and another pastor's wife, one president's wife, another president's wife may have very different models of what the marriage relationship looks like. It may be shared or compatible or supportive, but find the one that works for you and be yourselves and be the couple that God made you to be. Now let's move on to a second big idea. Making ministry marriage work means that you have to set boundaries separating your ministry and your personal life. Now, that's hard. Because ministry can become all-consuming, where our identities as individuals and as ministry leaders somehow merge together and become one. I understand how that happens, and I definitely own my identity as a ministry leader, and I'm glad to live out that in mo- most of the time. <laughs> But it's very important that we all as couples learn to set boundaries separating our ministry life from our personal life. Now, this is so important because well-meaning people, well-meaning people will take from you all that you will give. They have no idea or awareness of your work demands. Now, I've had this happen in funny ways. And I've seen it played out in our lives in more serious ways, Uh, a funny way. When I was a pastor, uh, every Friday morning, a man would come to our church office, plop himself down in a chair, and say, I've just dropped my wife at the beauty parlor. Now, that tells you this is an old story, how many people go to beauty parlors these days. But he would say, I've just dropped my wife at the beauty parlor and I had some time to kill. So, thought I, so I thought I'd come by here. He had time to kill. So he was sitting in my office or in the church offices thinking that we probably had nothing else going on. He just wanted to come take our time. We had to set a boundary in that, in that situation, set a boundary because he was well-meaning but he was willing to take from us what we really didn't need to give in that moment. He had no idea of our job demands and job requirements and expectations of getting things accomplished. And yet we had to help him to understand that with some boundary setting. People have no idea the job demands and job requirements. One of the things that Ann and I do from time to time, uh, usually multiple times a year is we meet up in airports, uh, When we first started doing this, Ann thought, we've lost our minds, but somehow we've got to see each other, so that's how we do it. Ann will be flying somewhere to speak or minister or take care of something in our family. I'll be going another direction, do the same thing, and we'll find out that we're rendezvousing or overlapping in the Dallas airport or the Phoenix airport, or we've been on separate trips, and we're going to go to the next trip together, and we'll schedule our flights where we rendezvous in an airport and finally join up on a plane and get to sit by each other as we go on to our next trip. That's a different kind of life, isn't it, Ann?
1: Yes, very different. <laughs>
0: when you first started doing that, uh, it felt a little awkward to you, didn't? Like you were some kind of a jet setter going around the country. <laughs>
1: Uh, yes, it it has been a little bit of adjustment for me to uh, just to have a uh, different expectations, and I'm even in people ask me, "Well, what do you do?" And I really have a hard time explaining it because my life is just so so much variety, so different every day. It's it's really hard to explain, and
0: so much different than maybe most people yes. would expect. So mm-hmm. my point is simply this: well-meaning people will take from you all that you'll give because they have really no expectations of your job requirements, your job demands are the lifestyle that your job places you in as you're trying to get it done. This is just some illustrations that we've had. So you are responsible to set the boundaries in your ministry, uh, particularly in the areas of time and availability as it impacts your family and your marriage. Think about this with me just for a moment. Some of you in ministry leadership are operating under the false idea that you have to always be available to validate or prove your worth to your followers. That's just simply not true. Think about this. Some of the people that you value the most highly are the least accessible to you. For example, your doctor. I recently wanted to get an appointment to take care of some medical concerns, and I logged onto my doctor's website, and the first appointment was six weeks from the day I contacted him. Six weeks. But I took that appointment. Why? Why? Because he's an important person in my life. He has expertise that I need. And even though he's not very available to me, that doesn't diminish his value to me. Same thing with an attorney or any other professional person. Sometimes we make the mistake as ministers of believing that instant availability is what validates our importance in the lives of other people. And that's just simply not true. Now, that doesn't mean that you set boundaries uh, to keep yourself from ever being available, but it does mean you set good boundaries so that you can man, man, maintain and manage the difference between your ministry and your personal life. If you don't set boundaries, no one will, and failure to set boundaries sends a powerful message to your family. I once worked with a ministry leader, very successful pastor. Church grew uh, substantially under his direction. And the whole time I was working with him, I was watching his marriage unravel. And I, as a caring leader, tried to intervene on multiple occasions to help him see that things were headed toward a bad ending if he didn't make some serious adjustments in his marriage relationship. And one of the things I challenged him to do was to set boundaries and to restrict some time just for his marriage and also for his children. He failed to do that. Ultimately, his wife left him and uh, filed for divorce. Of course, the, mayor, the ministry came unraveled because of that. When I asked him to describe for me what was his undoing, he said, well, I can, I can help you understand that, Jeff, with just one story. He said, we would pop a big ba- a big bunch of popcorn and sit down to watch a movie together, and the phone would ring. And I would immediately answer it and rush out the door to meet the need, no matter what it was. And having done that enough times, my wife finally was convinced that the church really was more important than her. Now, does that mean that every time the phone rings, you ignore it? Of course not. Every ministry leader has to make occasional responses to true emergencies, but those don't happen every time the phone rings. Ministry leaders have to set boundaries. So let me give you some areas where boundaries are required. First, you have to set boundaries on the days you will work and the days you will be off. Now, Anne confronted me about this almost 40 years ago, early in our marriage, and I made a commitment to setting aside one day a week to be off with my, with my family. And when we had our children at home, that it meant investing some time just with Anne, and then some time you know, with our family. Now, I didn't just invest one day a week in my wife and family, but we set aside one day a week to make sure we got that done. And we've maintained that over these years. Now, we when we teach on this, we normally say that we try to make this happen about 40 weeks a year. Now, you say, well, you need to get that up to 52. Well, you get it up to 52 and then come and tell me how you did that. I'm just trying to be realistic here. 40 to 45 weeks a year, my wife and I set aside one day just for us, and we spend that day together. Now, uh, and we mostly do that on Fridays these days because that typically is the day that I have the least work demands. Uh, How have you uh, had to work with your schedule to make sure that happens as well?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, because we travel a lot and different things like that, uh, different speaking and things, uh, we have to sit down and go through the calendar together and just talk about when we're going to be free and when we're not. And and I have to purposely set aside those days so that I don't schedule a women's event for the seminary on the days when Jeff is, is going to be the one Saturday that month that he's going to be home. <laughs> and so, I, 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 like Jeff said, it doesn't always work perfectly. And, you know, we have to live with that. But... But uh we both know that that is our intention and we're going to do the best we can with it.
0: yeah we've been doing this for a long time so we're in a kind of a rhythm of it but in the beginning especially we had to just lock it down and say that's what we're going to do and that's how we're going to commit to it. Another thing we had to commit to is the office time where that you're going to be available and time when you're not you know I think that um, some ministry leaders don't have an office to go to and I get that But when I was a church planter and worked out of my home, I still had a place in our home that was designated for the workspace. And I would go there every day and work. And I would just simply say that part of being a disciplined ministry leader is that when you're at work, you have to work, so that when you're not at work, you cannot be at work. So here's a couple of areas where boundaries are required. You have to set boundaries on the days you'll work and the days you'll be off. And then when you are at work, the office time you'll have and the time when you're not available to people for study and other purposes so that you have these boundaries in place that enable you to get the work done that needs to be done while at the same time investing some priority time in your family, particularly your marriage. Now, how are, what are some hints to keeping these boundaries in place? Well, I'll give you two or three. Number one, disconnect from technology. You know, when Ann and I are off on those Fridays together, uh, we turn our phones off. We really do. Uh, We just spend a few hours without the distraction of the Internet, email, or phone calls. And what we've discovered is that the world is able to keep on spinning without our immediate attention for a few hours (laughs) once a week. Another thing we do is we separate our workspace from our personal space. We, We don't go to the seminary. We don't talk about the seminary. We don't go in our offices. We don't do those things on our days that we spend together. Now, Ann, you've had to learn how to communicate about boundaries and how to set realistic expectations. So talk about how you do that and maybe a story or two about how you've helped others do that as well. Mm
1: -hmm. I think one of the most important things to help your children and help yourself understand is the difference between needs and wants. And you know, um, in general, people are just confused about that. They think everything is a crisis and everything has to be dealt with right that minute. And so, um, you know, we we talked about that within our family with my kids, and I had to adjust my own expectations as well. And so, you know, if we were had a family gathering and we were doing something and someone passed away or was critically ill in the hospital, of course my husband had to go and the kids understood, you know, he's got to go. But if, you know, if they were just... Um, you know, I wanted to uh, talk to Jeff or something uh, that could be scheduled at another time. And so um, and then Jeff would make um, his his schedule. He would as soon as the kids got their ballgame schedule, they would give it to their dad the second they got it uh, so that he could put that on there on his calendar. And that was his priority. But then if there was something already on his calendar, obviously they knew that he couldn't cancel that commitment that he would have to keep his word. And so, you know, we learned to manage that, and the kids were, uh, over time, they they really have appreciated the fact that their dad uh, cared about them and made them a priority, even though they understood he has to work, just like most kids understand their parents have to work. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of seminary uh, wives, and um, all of, you know, they are just like I was. Uh, adjusting their expectations and figuring this thing out. And I talked with one wife and I think her idea, she thought that in ministry you had an eight to five job. And so she was frustrated that her husband was gone so many evenings. And I said, well, you know what? Um, the ministry is not an eight to five job. You have to be available when people are available. And they're usually available, not from eight to five. And so um, the, the good news is that with that flexible schedule, you may have many times that your husband can come home for lunch and have lunch with you. And so you have to figure out how to make that flexible schedule work. And your husband may be able to come to a school program during the day where other dads uh, who work eight to five wouldn't be able to. And I said, now, think about if your husband worked shift work and he had the last shift, you would know he was going to be gone every evening. And so so you wouldn't have this expectation. So you just have to understand that ministry is not an eight to five job. Uh, You have to work your full week, but you don't work it eight to five.
0: And that's good insight. Well, you've raised another issue, and that is the issue of expectations, but that's where we're going to stop the podcast today. Uh, we've covered about half the material. We want to come back next week and do part two about making ministry marriage work. Today, we talked about some commonalities that we have with other marriage situations, and we talked about how while there are some unique challenges, we're not the only profession or occupation that has those challenges. And then we've covered these two big ideas. Be yourself. Be yourself and be the couple God made you to be, and then set boundaries separating your ministry and your personal lives. If you'll do these things, you'll be on a path toward having a healthier ministry marriage. Put it into practice and then come back and join us next week for the part two of this podcast as you lead on.